You're listening to the Savvy Social Podcast, the show for budding entrepreneurs who want to understand the how and the why of social media marketing. I'm your host, Andrea Jones. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome to episode number 73 of the Savvy Social Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Social Report. Social Report is the world's most complete social media management tool, and it's my tool of choice when it comes to all things scheduling and reporting, especially reporting. It's like the best tool out there for putting everything in one place. Our clients love it. Try it out for yourself for free by going to socialreport.com. Now, today's guest is Nick Cook. And Nick is a influencer marketing genius. So Nick joined uh, Sport Lobster on launch and quickly built a marketing team of 17. Nick, along with two colleagues, took their learning and then created GOAT. Since founding the agency in 2015, along with Aaron Shepard and Harry Hugo, the company has grown from three to over 120 staff, opened four international offices, and is working with everyone from startup companies to global brands. Nick is now heading up the New York office, working closely with top brands and expanding the business to the U.S. market. Goat has been in New York since mid-2018 and is rapidly growing, working with brands like Nivea, Absolute, and ClassPass. So Nick and I really dig into influencer marketing. We talk about the value of really finding impactful influencers. We talk about some questions you should ask before hiring an agency to take over your influencer marketing. We talk about their own marketing strategy. So the Goat Agency has this really interesting daily vlog. Um, And so we talk about how that strategy has built their business. We also dive into some key metrics to look for when working with influencers. And we talk about how LinkedIn really helped the Goat Agency kind of expand their reach. And you guys know I love LinkedIn. So before we dive into this interesting conversation about influencer marketing, I wanted to remind you that this weekend only, so if you're listening to this podcast, it's Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to those of you in the U.S. Um, I'm planning to make a Southern Thanksgiving dinner for my family, even though we live in Canada and technically our Thanksgiving was in October. I like to celebrate both of them. So yes, I'm going to be a little greedy and make another Thanksgiving dinner and have a little fun. And then tonight, our Black Friday sale launches. So if you're listening to this this weekend, Thanksgiving 2019, I am joining forces with last week's guest, which is Amber Hurdle. Um, She is a fantastic branding person, and we've decided to do a BOGO deal. So buy one, get one, two for the price of one. And we joined forces to really give you the branding and social media combo move. So if you're ready to be seen or be known, please don't wait till 2020 to start working on that. You can start now. This bundle deal is really ideal for anyone who wants to clarify their brand message or supercharge their social media strategy and really take their marketing approach to the next level. So if you heard that and you were like, yes, that's me, click the link in the show notes or you can go to onlinedrea.com slash Black Friday to find out what this deal is all about and to sign up. And if you have any questions, send me a DM on Instagram, okay? I'd love to chat with you about any questions that you may have. 
All right, let's dive in to this fantastic interview with Nick Cook. All right, Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleased to be here. I'm really excited to talk to you because I find the influencer space just fascinating in general. I had my own mini pass as a micro influencer as well. So um, I know I've seen both sides of it. Uh, But let's start at the beginning. How did you get started with your agency working with influencers? Yeah. So um, I guess the first thing to point out is that I am uh, a Brit, um, as you will now uh, (laughs) clearly understand. Um, So yeah, I was born in London. I used to work at a brand called Sport Lobster, which um, was a sports social networking platform. Um, I gained a lot of experience when I was there. Um, Started in a kind of unpaid internship role and the company grew very quickly. Um, And essentially I reported into the CEO and the co-founders and they wanted very performance focused, kind of ROI focused campaigns. I didn't really know much about marketing at the time. So along with the, the head of social in my team, um, Harry Hugo, who's now a co-founder at Goat with me, we basically had to kind of hustle and work out how to drive um, mobile app installs and registrations for this product. And we did everything from um, you know, TV ads to above the line ads to paid social. And we kind of stumbled across the influencer world um, accidentally. Um, in the team, we had quite a few um, individuals who were kind of sports fan influencers, I guess. Um, This was about six, seven years ago before the kind of influencer wave happened. And we just started paying them 10, 20, 30 pounds in the UK for a post. We put a trackable link in the content. And what we started seeing was that the ROI was overall um, insane compared to everything else we were doing. So not everyone worked, but we started building a team around this. um, And within about six months, the majority of our quite big marketing budget was going into Um, these fan communities. Um, I guess just to uh, kind of highlight the disparity between what we were doing with the fan sports pages um, and kind of celebrity talent. We had um, Cristiano Ronaldo was an ambassador um, and he had 180 million followers across different social channels. So he was the most followed man uh, on social media in the world. Um, and he posted about us all the time and actually it drove very little in terms of kind of pure ROI. Um, and the fan pages with, for example, 100,000 followers would drive, um, you know, four to 10 times more installs. So yeah, that's kind of how Goat was um, accidentally created at a different business. Um, it went so well that we realized there was a, a need or a requirement for an agency to run these kind of ads um, or these kind of campaigns. Um, so we left about three and a half years ago, founded Goat. It was me, Harry, who was the head of social, and Aaron Shepard, who was the co-founder of that business. Um, and we just started, the three of us, in a co-working space, running these kind of acquisition campaigns, uh, originally for kind of sports betting and gaming clients. Um, and similarly, the, the ROI was great. They started putting more and more money into our campaigns. We then um, kind of won a really big... Um, million pound plus fashion brief before we had any female members of staff or anyone who knew anything about fashion. Um, And that was really what helped us kick on and kind of work out how to run these campaigns across other verticals. Oh my gosh, that sounds like a lot of impact in a short period of time. Like what's the timeline we're talking about here? Yeah, so um, yeah, I guess uh, I was probably at Sport Lobster for about 
three years. And then it's been three and a half years since we decided to leave there and, and found Goat. I think the, the insane thing has really been from that moment forward, rather than the kind of three years of Sport Lobster. So it started the three of us in a co-working space. We're now 120 plus people across three different offices globally. So New York, London, and Singapore. And yeah, we, we started in sport, as I say, and now we've, um, we've progressed into every kind of B2C vertical. So um, I think the scalability of the business has been um, the biggest kind of challenge, but we've kind of taken that very much head on. Um, when I talk about the B2C verticals, we're looking at things like fashion, lifestyle, tech, gaming, uh, travel. Um, we do a lot of mum-focused campaigns, student-focused campaigns. So yeah, um, it's in terms of the timeline, it's been pretty, pretty fast moving. Yeah, I know a lot of agency owners who would be very jealous of that of that timeline because I know um, how challenging it is to just never mind getting clients to scale your own team, right? So that's got to be a huge challenge. Um, so I want to I want to spend some time talking about the influencers themselves. And one of the questions that I get from my clients is about vetting your influencers. So how do you know if they're actually going to work? And you mentioned, you know, this massive uh, social media influencer, he has 180 thousand million followers, but it didn't work. And the, and the niche or micro influencers are the ones that are having more impact. So um, can you give us like a tip or two for um, businesses out there who want to explore working with influencers? How can they tell if they're real? Yeah. And that's, that's one of the biggest challenges in our market. Um, as a kind, of, um, a kind of headline fact from all of our influencer data, around 80% of influencers do not work for the kind of proper performance or acquisition focused campaigns. So um, obviously as we were starting, we, we kind of realized that not everyone worked very quickly. And so in terms of why we've grown very quickly, we are able to ascertain which influencers do and don't work for what kind of KPIs. Um, as the industries develop, there are a lot of different reasons why influencers don't work. Obviously um, fraud become a big thing. A lot of influencers have fake followers. Um, it's pretty easy to tell who does have fake followers um, in terms of kind of impression to engagement and those kind of conversions. And there are also software offerings that we use where you can, you can actually kind of scan for fake followers leading into a campaign. Um, ultimately, though, the only way to really know if you're running an influencer campaign for a conversion or for an acquisition, the only way to, um, to know is to have run a lot of campaigns. So what we've done is develop a CRM system, um, which we've developed internally, which um, houses all the data for every influencer and every post they've ever done for us. So um, the key things there are demographics. So who are their audience, first of all? Then you can start looking at kind of what percentage of audience are, are real and genuine and engaging with their content. Um, there's a kind of subjective element when we're identifying influencers around, are they on brand? Um, are they, you know, do they have the right kind of aesthetic? Um, normally brands give us a lot of parameters around kind of brand guidelines going into a campaign. Um, and then I think the real kind of thing that is unique to us is a third element of what kind of social efficiency or value do they provide? So for every dollar we spend on an influencer, what is the actual ROI in terms of, the kind of softer metrics, so things like impressions, engagements, video views, 
um, but also the kind of harder down funnel metrics like clicks and then conversion to app download or registration or subscription um, or purchase. So um, that data, you, you basically, there's no way to know what value influencer delivers until you've, you've used them. The key thing is that when you have used them, inputting that data and analyzing it correctly, and then using that to look for themes and patterns and um, inform your kind of your campaign going forward. Yeah, so it sounds like the powers in the numbers when it comes to kind of understanding all of that. Exactly. And a lot of people assume influencer marketing is more fluffy and more kind of subjective, but the way we view it is that it should be very analytical. Um, and especially with the in influx of the ability to boost influencer content um, using Instagram ads or Facebook ads or um, kind of traditional paid social, which means that the targeting can actually be as targeted um, as, as traditional paid, um, which a lot of people aren't using effectively at the moment. Okay. So can we talk a little bit about that? The, the paid social in com combination with an influencer ad um, is that you're actually boosting that influencer's post um, through your ad manager. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So um, increasingly the, the effect of influencer content organically um, is not as impactful as it used to be. Um, that is basically because well, partly because the influencer market is becoming more saturated and partly because the platforms themselves um, want people like us and brands to be putting more money behind uh, ads on their platform rather than all the money going to influencers, which makes sense. So they've basically changed the algorithms to ensure that a smaller percentage of an influencer's audience will see content organically. And um, they've also made it easier for people like us to put ad spend behind that content. Um, and so it can work in a number of ways. I mean, normally the way it works is that um, an influencer will link their business account to our agency business account, um, and then we can, can run ads through their page. Um, increasingly, we're also um, for app download campaigns, because we can't, um, even through boosted content, drive people to uh, the app store through trackable links. Increasingly, our brand clients are giving us whitelisted access um, to their own ads manager so that we can run kind of boosted ads direct to the app store, which normally is only reserved for, for that client. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of how it works. Um, we, we also, it works kind of differently for individual influencers who are actual people and personalities. Normally with them, we just boost their content but we also often share their content or pre-existing branded content from the brand um, on influencer pages. Um, so, you know, the biggest of the big publishers like BuzzFeed, but there are a huge number of kind of, we call them faceless pages. So they're not people, but they normally don't create their own content. They share other people's content. So often we'll put influencer generated content on those accounts and then put ad spend behind it. Ooh, very interesting strategy. I, I really like that. Um, I want to ask you a question for maybe someone who's um, before hiring you. So, you know, they've maybe had some success with their app or their e-commerce store, and they're looking to expand into the influencer space. What are some of the questions that they should be asking before they hire an agency to help them with that situation? Yeah, um... What? So if you're, if you're a brand, sorry, and you're looking for an agency? Yes, exactly. 
Yeah, um, I think it depends what your, I guess what size of brand it is and then what the main objectives are. Um, some brands we work with are still, still seeing influencer as more of a kind of PR tool. So often if influencers run through the PR team, it won't be viewed as such a kind of performance channel. Um, in that case, the more kind of um, subjective uh, and kind of softer metrics are the ones that, that we focused on. So are the influencers, are they, are they on brand? Um, are their audience the right audience? And then do they provide a good kind of cost per impression, engagement, story view, that kind of thing? Um, in that case, I think it's, it's really important that um, the agency is a good fit for the brand. Um, you know, you don't want an agency if you're a startup um, brand with, you know, 10 employees, you probably don't want to go and use an agency with, um, you know, 200 people or 120 people or whatever. Um, you probably want an agency which is quite local to you that feels like the right cultural fit and that you are still a very important client for them so that you get the best people working on your, your campaigns. Um, and ultimately, whether you're looking for those softer metrics or the harder metrics, um, I would recommend trying to um, ascertain what kind of value they're going to actually provide from a numbers perspective. We actually guarantee results going into campaigns um, in terms of everything up to the click numbers. So we'll say, you know, for X budget, we're going to see this many influencers on these platforms, this much content, and then impressions, engagements, video views, and clicks. Um, not many people in the market, if any, are actually doing that. But if you can get the agency to guarantee as much as possible, um, then you'll be in a good position. There's no reason why agencies shouldn't be able to if they actually are confident in the work they can do. Um, yeah, I'd say that's probably my, my biggest piece of advice. Yeah, great advice. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about your own social channels because I'm loving the daily vlog. So what was the inspiration for the daily vlog? And uh, we'll go from there and talk more about it. Yeah, so um, yeah, we're daily vlogging. Um, it's something that I was pretty apprehensive about. I'm not a kind of guy who loves having a camera shoved in my face. Um, but my business partners who are actually in the UK um, are, you know, big risk takers and uh, are much more comfortable kind of, um, you know, building, building personal brands and, and looking to take risks from the content side. So they were the kind of ones that pushed it. We did a couple of um, kind of video tests. Um, and to be honest, we were trying to copy everyone else who was doing video, obviously Gary Vee being the main one. Um, I think our mistake was copying them and trying to do that kind of preachy thing where you're kind of giving advice to people as if you've kind of achieved everything, which I, I think is the wrong strategy. Um, I think if people are, are looking to create content, then try and do something that's actually kind of on brand with you and, and is a bit unique. So yeah, that, I wasn't that keen originally, but really the key thing with I think the way we've done it is that we've put everything into it and we've really committed to it. So we've actually just passed a hundredth day consecutive vlogging. Each vlog is about five to eight, nine minutes, which is a decent chunk of content. Um, and yeah, we're, we're kind of doing a fly on the wall behind the scenes type, um, type uh, content series and trying to build up the, the amazing individuals and personalities within our team rather than just me, Aaron and Harry, um, with a bit of kind of advice and um, insight thrown in. But 
really, I, I think the feedback predominantly is people that just really enjoy watching the content because it's quite funny and honest. Um, other people in agencies can't believe that we're revealing as much as we are and being as honest as we are, talking about when we lose pitches as well as win them. Um, and brands really like it just because, you know, they are gaining insights into the kind of agency they should be working with and um, learning some tips around how to kind of deal with agencies to get the most out of them. Um, and yeah, it's, it's kind of made us realize how great the clients we work with are and how amazing the kind of opportunities to create content are. Um, even this weekend, in one vlog, we had uh, the team in New York at the Formula E E-Pre filming with the influencers we had there, like Casey Neistat and a whole bunch of others. Um, and at the same time in London, we were filming with Dan Bilzerian and, you know, True Geordie and a whole bunch of massive influencers around Dan's new CBD brand, Ignite. Um, and, you know, these guys in our vlog are uh, the leaders in their game. So I think leveraging that insight is, is also very useful. I shouldn't be surprised that an influencer agency is leveraging influencers. <laughs> well, exactly. And that was kind of the thing. We, we, we realized we were in a unique position. And if we did do something about it, then we'd, we'd regret it. Um, but yeah, it's going well so far. One of the interesting uh, sorry. things... Oh, sorry. The, the other thing I should mention is that it's predominantly for a LinkedIn audience, which I think is quite rare. Yeah, that, that's where I was going to go next because I know you post them on YouTube, but you, you mostly post them on LinkedIn as well. What was the decision process behind that? Yeah, so um, I guess the, the, the thing we've realized over the last year or so is the LinkedIn um, algorithm, the LinkedIn platform provides an amazing opportunity for video. Um, you know, or, organic reach through video is, is really, really big on LinkedIn and the audience in terms of who we're trying to communicate to is very much the LinkedIn audience rather than the YouTube audience. Um, we watched a lot of other people's content and realized that they were getting a huge amount of engagement, um, but you know, from students and aspiring entrepreneurs and things like that, which is great, we, we want that audience, but ultimately the point of our vlog is to you know, win more business and build, build the agency. So we're not, you know, not gonna pretend it's anything else. So um, the audience we're trying to communicate to are marketing managers, marketing directors, decision makers, and very, they're, they're very much uh, LinkedIn rather than any other platform. So yeah, those are the kind of two main reasons. Um, but yeah, even, I mean, the proof is in the numbers. We post it on LinkedIn every day and get anywhere between sort of four to 20,000 views a video. Um, and on YouTube, it will get, you know, normally about four or 500 views. So um, it's kind of volume, but also quality. Yeah, love that. Love that strategy. And I don't think anybody is focusing on YouTube with a daily series like you guys are, um, yeah. which is impressive. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what's next for the GOAT agency and what you guys see coming in the pipeline for influencer marketing in you know 2020. Yeah, so um, I guess our... Our strategy is, um, is very much global. Um, so London is our head office, but our New York office is growing incredibly quickly. Um, we are very much focused on growing Singapore as well, which is, um, we, we opened that office about three, four months ago. Um, and the opportunities there are incredible because the influencer market is, is way less saturated, but the big brands and agencies are still there and interested in, in what we can do over there. So I think growing our global footprint is a big one. Um, 
really uh, with our existing clients in the relationships and, and delivering better and better work to the point that those relationships are in an even better position. Um, and really just trying to spearhead and lead the industry, um, lead the industry into the kind of next phase. A lot of people talk about, oh, is the influencer market, you know, going to die off soon? Is it a flash in the pan? I think anyone who's kind of worked in the industry knows it isn't. It's just going to keep developing and morphing. Um, but yeah, it's going to be fascinating seeing which platforms and, you know, which features within each platform um, become more or less effective um, in the influencer game. Normally, it's a, it's a constant kind of um, fluid process. Two years ago, Snapchat was our best performing acquisition platform. Um, we do kind of 12-hour incentivized giveaways and that kind of thing, and it was insanely um, engaged. Um, and then it just gradually died off, and then Stories was invented, didn't convert at all. Now it's our best performing channel. So, yeah, it, it, in terms of platform, it's going to be interesting. TikTok, um, who are actually a big client of ours, as well as a platform we use a lot for influencer campaigns, are becoming more and more advanced in their ability to provide analytics and, and tracking capabilities. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting, I think. The U.S. is is always the most kind of forward-thinking, uh, saturated market. So, I guess anything that that happens in the U.S. is probably then going to be followed by um, the U.K. and Singapore in terms of our own uh, our own office territories. Um, so, yeah, I, I certainly don't see the influence again um, diminishing or dying off in the next year. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree there. I think we'll actually see more influencers and even more uh, return on investment um, from from those types of campaigns. So I'm with you there. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much, Nick, for joining me today. How can people connect with you? I'll, I'll put links in the show notes. I know the daily show is, is really where we want to go, but how else can we connect with you? Yeah. So, um, well, my email address is nick at goatagency.com. Feel free to get in touch. Um, LinkedIn, as we've discussed, is a big platform for us. Um, you should be able to find me on um, LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, type in Nick Cook with an E, goat, and I should be there. Um, and yeah, I guess if you'd like to speak to us about working with us or for us or anything else, then yeah, feel free to get in touch. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Savvy Social Podcast. For links and everything we talked about, please check out the show notes by visiting SavvySocialPodcast.com. And don't be afraid to continue the conversation. I'd love to have you inside of the Facebook group. You can search for us on Facebook or simply go to SavvySocialCrew.com. See you there. Bye for now.